0: Divine Truth Frequently Asked Question Session. Jesus, Mary and others provide answers to questions that are frequently asked by members of the media and public. This presentation is part of the Bible and Bible Quotation series. Mary asked Jesus to give his general opinion about the Bible and to discuss the truth and error contained within the specific Bible text, recorded on the 21st of January, 2013, in Wilkesdale, Queensland, Australia. This is session one, part two. So, there are many verses about the second coming of Jesus in the Bible, particularly Matthew 24, uh, Mark 13, and Luke 21. Yes. Do you have any general comments about these verses?
1: Certainly, um, there's a lot of things I could say about these particular verses. Firstly, Any of the comments that I made that were later recorded in these verses were referring to the Jewish system of things uh, that I saw and what I saw occurring in the Jewish system of things. One of the primary things I saw in the Jewish system of things was that in the future, because of the Jewish opposition to Roman oppression, that eventually the romans would come and destroy the seat of the jewish power which was jerusalem mm-hmm. and they would completely annex that power at some point in the future this is something that i felt very strongly and many of the spirits who were with me um, who i often spoke with felt also very strongly about and so you know of course in almost any day any time a person lives you get this uh, feeling that you would like to know a bit about the future you know what, what's going to happen in the future, and And one of the questions that I was frequently asked is what's going to happen in the future? What's going to happen with the Roman world power and and what effect it has on us here in Jerusalem, for example? And the main reason why most people asked that question was they expected the Messiah to be a person who would come and conquer the Roman oppression and set up kingship on the earth in Jerusalem and eventually be the king of the entire earth that's what they expected from the messiah and so it was a frequently asked question sometimes it was asked by people in power you know who were concerned for their power and other times it was asked as a sincere question by disciples who knew the prophetic references to the messiah and who misinterpreted those particular references And so they'd often come up to me and ask me questions about, you know, what's going to happen in our future? When are you going to put in the, you know, the power, you know, when you're going to become king and all those kind of things. Now, of course, I never was going to become king and never will become king, in my opinion. I, I don't know what God's got planned for me, but that's how I feel. And the reality is that many of them wanted me to become a king of sorts so that they could feel like they have been freed from Roman oppression. But there were also sincere people wanting to know about the future mm-hmm. and what would happen in the future. And one of the things that I taught very frequently was that if you opposed something, if you spent a lot of your energy and effort into violent, in violent opposition, eventually opposition would come back to mm-hmm. you and there would be violent opposition in return. And this is something that, uh, a principle that I was constantly trying to help people understand, a principle that if you love people, eventually love would return. If you hate people or treat people violently, eventually violence would return. Mm -hmm. And these were basic principles about how God has created the universe. And so when they asked me questions about what is the future of the Jewish system of things, I could give them quite direct answers about what I believed the current future of the Jewish system of things would be based on what I perceived was the general attitude of the Jewish people towards Roman oppression. And so I foretold the many things uh, about Roman oppression and the Jewish system things and what would happen.
0: So uh, could you put that in context of the the verses then that we're referring to? Sure. You're actually saying that those verses weren't referring to your return to earth. They were just speaking about the fall of the Jewish system?
1: Well, one thing you must understand that I had by this stage talked about my potential death with my disciples and my wife, yourself, and my disciples all knew that I would potentially die at some time in the short term future now many of them also felt that i that i would be able to come back because they they could see that i wasn't a king yet and many of the things they believed the Ma- what would happen to the messiah hadn't happened yet
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so what they believed was very different to what i believed what i believed was that i probably wouldn't come back onto the planet in a very short period of time if at all and what I believed was that uh, um, there was no need to come back onto the planet because I had a good understanding in the spirit world and a good understanding of what I needed to do in the spirit world to establish God's kingdom, if you like, in the celestial, kingdom, in the celestial realms. And so um, I knew there was a lot of work to be done in the spirit world. So I, I didn't have a, a strong feeling about coming back to Earth straight away or anything like that.
0: So could I just clarify, because I know you're going to go on, but... Yeah. What about the resurrection? I mean, are you speaking about coming back to earth permanently? Yes,
1: I knew that I would come back to earth temporarily after my death to prove to people that there was no such thing as death. Mm -hmm. I I already knew that that would occur um, because it was my strong desire and I also knew from the feelings I had between myself and God that that was a high likelihood of being able to be done. So. And I understood the laws of physics and the laws of nature that were involved in my, my doing such a thing. Sure. And so I knew that I'd be able to do that at some point uh, after my death. So I knew that instantly after my death, I'd be able to prove to people that I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. I'm not referring to that here. Okay. Um, I'm referring to my return at some future time. And at that point, I didn't have any strong feeling about returning to the earth at some future time. I believed there was a lot of work to be performed in the spirit world. I believed there was a lot of things that needed to be, have, occur in the spirit world in terms of things that I needed to learn myself, but also things that I needed to share with others in order for life in the spirit world to improve. Because I realized that life in the spirit world was in, in many cases even worse than life on earth for many yeah. people. So, you know, I knew that I would be spending a lot of my time talking to people in the spirit world after my death. For that reason, um, I didn't have a very strong feeling about uh, returning to the earth. I felt that at one point in the future, perhaps there might be the potentiality of me doing such a thing. But I didn't predict such a thing, in fact, uh, at all, ever. I never predicted any of those events.
0: Which, that's a big thing to say because mm. there's a lot of Bible... Um,
1: Verses that say I did. Yes. Yes. And uh, But I did predict predict the fall of... The Roman world power, Uh, I did predict the fall of, you know, the fall of Jerusalem before the fall of the Roman world power. I did predict, predict the the distortion of truth that would occur over time, the distortion of my true teachings over time. The esta- I predicted the establishment of organisations which would uh, which would eventually suppress true Christianity. Mm-hmm. I predicted the suppression of Christianity and persecution of Christians shortly after my time. I predicted all those events mm-hmm. and told my disciples that all of these events would, would definitely occur. So there were many things I did predict and... Um, and there were some things that I did not. Now, a person who's at one with God can predict many things mm-hmm. and uh, and also does not feel very much concern about death and so does not feel a huge amount of concern about the predictions that are making either.
0: Yeah.
1: Now, Matthew 24, Mark uh, 13, Luke 21 are all uh, verses that are contained in the Bible that are about what's meant to be the coming or my second coming the mm-hmm. assumption is that it's about my second coming most christian religions believe that it talks about you know the the the, pred- the prediction of events after my death but they feel that it has a greater fulfillment in the prediction of the second coming these kind of things arose because many of the disciples that i had at the time believed that i would come again and desperately wanted me to this is this is very plain to see in the writings of Paul, for example, where he expected me to come during his own lifetime. And many of the disciples who, uh, who after I died, uh, felt that they expected me to return to them during my lifetime, during their lifetime, because they knew I was still alive. yeah, Because I had appeared to them, they knew I was still alive. And many of them became very confused about why I did not reappear to them during their lifetime, not understanding that there were a whole large amount of jobs occurring in the spirit world that I now wanted to engage, which were very important and many of them are more important, in fact, than what could occur on earth. And the reason why was because many of the people in the spirit world were influencing the events on earth and therefore the people in the spirit world needed to change. Mm-hmm. And we needed to have like what I would classify as an army, you could call it. It's not an army about violence, but it's an army of people who all understand the truth mm-hmm. in the spirit world at the time of my death, there were very few people in the spirit world who understood the truth. And as a result, very, very few people that won with God by the time of my death. And I knew that this needed to change in order for everything else to change. Mm. And so that became my primary focus. My primary focus was improving the spirit world conditions so that more people can become at one with God. And once more people became at one with God, eventually they'll get to a point where there'll be masses of people at one with God in the spirit world. And I knew that they would have a, a beautiful positive effect on events that could occur in the earth, on the earth and in the spirit world, in the darker realms of the spirit world. So
0: you're really saying your focus was actually on the spirit world after you passed and you had no intention at that time of returning?
1: No. The only time that I spent on earth after my passing was time that I spent with you and my family yeah. and with different people of you know who were people that I loved who I wanted to guide uh, and assist into having the proper viewpoint of relationship with God, relationship with themselves and their own happiness. And I did guide to a large degree the different things that happen with the Christian faith. So whenever I noticed people attacking the Christian faith, I spent time trying to reverse those particular events. And this is one of the reasons why I tried to influence Paul when he was Saul. Mm-hmm. So Paul was not named Paul initially; he was named Saul. He was a Pharisee who spent a lot of time attacking Christians uh, around Jerusalem, in particular. And and I realised that if he used his zeal in a different direction, then that would be wonderful. Yeah. And if he used his continued to use his zeal attacking Christians, there wasn't going to be much left of Christians at the end of his zeal. And so you know, this is why I appeared to him in a vision-like state and educated him about the divine truth and got him to change. So there are many things like that that I did after my death. But if we get back to the actual question, which is about the the uh, for those three primary chapters talking about future events, I did not predict any future events based on my return. Um, and... It was only after my death that disciples, pe- people who wanted me to return, came up with what they believed were indications that I would return. And ironically, some of them are correct now. You know, so some of them are prophetic in nature, and some of them are correct. And many, of the, some of the things that they've said about my second coming are going to be true. <laughs> but but they uh, had received that direction from spirits and through their own inclination to believe such a thing.
0: Right. Because there is a lot of irony in what you're saying. Yes. that you, Ironically, you're saying you didn't, you you thought it might be possible that you could return, but yep. it was not, you were not trying to prophesy your own return no. in the statements that are recorded in the Bible. Exactly. Uh, so there was no intention, um, at, but yet... A whole group of people, a very massive group of people, have been awaiting your return based on writings that were recorded after your death.
1: And almost all of the disciples after my death were awaiting my immediate return. So, so,
0: people, so are people are still waiting today. And people are still waiting. So that's ironic.
1: Yes, it is ironic.
0: <laughs> then we add to the the fact that you did discover, we did discover that we could return. And have returned, and now all those people waiting do not see you.
1: Exactly. That's ironic too, isn't it? That's
0: all ironic. (laughs) Yes.
1: And because it's not, uh, my return isn't uh, in the manner in which the first century disciples conceived it to be, Yeah. um, people then don't believe that I've returned. Isn't that ironic?
0: (laughs) Very. And it's very, um, you know, it would be a lot simpler if you just said...
2: (laughs) See what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> that you that you uh, thought you were going to return. I know you can't say it because it's not true. No, it's not true. But it mm. it is um, it's highly. It feels highly. I imagined that
1: it was possible. Yeah. But I but I didn't uh, see it as a likelihood in my near future, and I know that the disciples, when I passed, had a desire for it to occur in their time. Because they, many of them were unwilling to live without me in yeah. a lot of ways, which was one of I, the problems. I
2: know
1: that, yes. Uh, one of the problems, yeah. as you know, was that many of the disciples were unwilling to engage the divine truth without me doing it with them.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and this is one thing they had to learn. They, they finished up learning that quite rapidly after yeah. my death. Yeah. Once they worked through a lot of their grief and I returned to them and they had the proof and evidence that what I was saying to them was true. Then of course they had a lot of deep motivation to, to present truth to people in the world. They started to personally live it a lot more than they were before then. You know, before then they were often just talking about it and not living it. And uh and many of the people as a result grew hugely and towards their relationship with God and their relationship with truth during that time period. And of course, um, you know, God's spirit through this love flowed through them. Helping them to come to, con- to terms with the conceptions of truth that I taught them while I was alive, that they didn't really understand at the time. At the time. Mm.
0: So, if we can be really clear, then what Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote—did mm-hmm. you make those statements? Because well, some... I made some
1: of them and again, <laughs> and other parts that have been embellished by my own disciples yes. and by others since into something that is definitely not true.
0: But you are saying that some of those embellishments were inspired and some, so are accurate and some, some are not. Exactly. So, again, we're in this hodgepodge a little bit of um, some things you said, some things you didn't, some things were inspired correctly and some things were just... Uh,
1: yes, and once you understand on, human nature and you understand how the spirit world works with the material world and so forth, you can understand how all of those things can occur. Certainly. So, to me, it was not surprising that yep. such a thing would occur. But I understand that to a lot of Christians it might be surprising to hear what I'm saying.
0: Perhaps a little stressful.
1: Well, a little stressful only because they believe the Bible to be holy God's word yeah. and therefore, you know, they are unwilling to have critical analysis based on love and truth and consistency. If I, if I maybe give some illustrations about the consistency, for example, like in the, in the Bible it states uh, and portrays me as in my second coming As coming as a ruler, coming as a world domineering ruler who subjugates the nations and uh, places them as a stool for my feet. In other words, that all of the nations um, are going to be ruled by myself. That's what it says. Mm It's completely inaccurate, of course, and and false. But that's what it says. But in other areas, it says almost completely opposite. And if I can illustrate these particular things, so so if you read Matthew twenty four, for example, um, in twenty nine verse three to thirty one, it says, "Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and all the heavenly bodies will all be shaken." At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. Then it says, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. That's what it says. Yeah. Now, um, anybody who knows me would never believe that. Anybody who knew me in the first century would never believe that. This is a verse added after my first century life. And and it's a, a verse um, added to for, for a lot of different reasons, some to control people, some to inspire people, some to to make people feel that they were just waiting for the second coming, constantly waiting, or well, similar to how the Jews were constantly waiting for the Messiah mm-hmm. and still are waiting,
2: okay. even
1: though the Messiah came 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Um, and it's very similar in nature to that, but also I say that it's not my nature to do such a thing mm-hmm. because what this verse portrays, and many other verses also portray, is that I would come I would come in this demonstration of great power and glory, and i would I would take from the earth the elect, in other words, the people who supposedly know the truth and 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 believe in me, and then all the others I will destroy mm-hmm. that's what it's basically stating and the book of revelation states quite clearly now if you look at other verses so for example if we go back to matthew 4 and we go to verse 8 it says the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor and he says all of this i will give you if you bow down and worship me well if a person really thought about that verse and and then i apparently the verse says i said to him Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, I rejected the offer of world rulership. Mm. And in a way, Satan is, in this verse was just offering me the same thing God was. So why would I reject it? <laughs> like it makes no sense. Um, if Satan is offering me, bow down to me and I'll give you this, and God's offering me, bow down to me and I'll give you this then surely both of them are offering the same thing. It makes yeah. no real logical sense. But if we look at it analytically, we can see that I rejected the offer of rulership.
2: Mm-hmm. Now,
1: people say, oh, that's because it was offered by Satan. Okay, so let's go over a few more verses, shall we, to maybe, maybe to John 6, um, 14 and 15, where it says, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So I again rejected the offer of rulership from people this time, not from Satan. And I also rejected the offer of rulership by force. Mm. In other words, I did not want to force rulership on anybody.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, what's the difference between God offering me rulership by force And people offering me rulership by force. Well, well, I put to you nothing. God would never offer me rulership by force, and if God did, I would never accept rulership by force. Mm
2: -hmm. Now,
1: this is an inconsistency. In one verse in Matthew 24, it's saying that I have accepted rulership by force, and another verse in John 6, it's saying that I do not accept rulership by force. What's my character? Obviously, my character, under, in the Bible's definition, my character changes depending on who offers me something. Yeah, And that's not the case at all. If God offered me rulership by force, I would reject it. And I know, for example, that God will never offer me such a thing because God himself takes no rulership by force. Yeah. So he'd never offered me such a thing. That's why I reject it in every case.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But the Bible is stating that God has offered me rulership by force and that I have accepted it. And both things are false. God cannot offer me rulership by force because God does not take personally take rulership by force. And I would never accept rulership by force because I am at one or want to be at one with God. And so therefore could never be at one with God if I took rulership by force. Yeah. So, so this is proof. To, in my mind, it's definite proof. If I was listening to that discussion logically, I would say, wow, there's some inconsistencies there. It is also proof that I would never have predicted my own coming in the manner in which Matthew 24 describes it in that verse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so, so the fact is somebody else predicted it this way, yeah. not me. Yeah. And uh, there were many predictions about the Messiah in the first century that I rejected because that's not what I wanted to be yeah. and it's also what I knew God didn't want me to be.
2: Yeah.
1: If we look at another example, um, so if I maybe could say my real, my real feelings About this one issue is that I would never accept rulership by force. I will never accept that God would offer me rulership by force. I will never come onto the earth and do what the Bible says I will do in Matthew chapter 24, Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21. I will never come and destroy the wicked for God or anybody else because Mm -hmm. I know God would never do it himself.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: I would never take the elect who think they're the elect when most of them are not what I would classify to be loving people. In fact, I state that quite categorically in other verses in the Bible that are recorded.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, to me, this is another way people misinterpret the Bible. Now, let's look at another example. Um, let's look at the issue of judgment. Now, the Bible says if I look at, uh, and maybe what we need is just to have a pause so I can get all the Bible sure. verses together sure. that I want to get together, and then we'll go through the issue of judgment. Yeah. So let's do that.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So let's look at the issue of judgment. What the Bible says about me being a judge. So, so if you look at John five, and um, I think it's uh, what is it? It's verse uh, twenty six to thirty, I think are other verses I'll read. It says, "For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son to have life in Himself, and He has given Him authority to judge, because He is the Son of Man." Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice, the Son of Man's voice is referring to, and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. That's saying categorically that I I was saying that I was a judge. Mm -hmm. That's what it's saying.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: now let's compare that with some other verses now this is meant to be the same person as well so so here now we have another verse here and this verse is in uh, Matthew 7 1 to 5 it says do not judge or you too will be judged in the same for in the same way as you judge others you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you now I'm telling other people not to judge and Mm -hmm. yet I'm willing to accept judgment I would call that hypocr- hypocrisy.
2: Yeah.
1: But uh, obviously Christians don't call that hypocrisy. <laughs> they say that for some reason I've been given the judgment. But then let's have a look at some other verses. Let's look at, like there's another one in Luke 12, 13 and 14. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? So there I'm saying quite categorically, yeah, I'm not the judge,
2: yeah. right? I'm yeah. not
1: a judge between people. Okay, if we look at John three sixteen and 17, which is a very popular verse that most Christians have read most of their life, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then it says, For God did not send his world into the, Son into the world to condemn the world. Mm. But to save the world through him. So in other words, God didn't save, send me to condemn the world, so therefore I'm not a judge under this circumstance. Well, let's, and people go, "Oh, that's a bit of a strong inter- long interpretation. Well let's have a look at a few other verses that are quite categorical on the matter. If you look at John 12, 47 and 48, this is what it says: "For the person who hears my voice and words but does not keep them, I do not judge him." For I did not come in, come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words, that very word which I spoke to condemn him on the last day. And here I'm referring to the judge being my father.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So here, categorically, I'm saying I'm not the judge.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So which is it? I'm either a judge or I'm not a judge. And there, it quite quite clearly, I'm being contradictory. Yeah. On one hand, I'm saying that other people should not judge, but I'm allowed to. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I'm saying I'm not the judge, but God is. And then on the other hand, I'm saying, no, God's given me the judgment.
2: Yeah.
1: Now, these are all very contradictory statements. Now, I'm not a contradictory person. I don't make contradictory statements. I'm either a judge or I'm not. I either believe I am or I believe I'm not. Well, I believe I'm not.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: definitely have not come to judge the world. I'm not going to judge anybody. I don't have the power to judge anybody. I've never been given the power to judge anybody. I am a son of God, just as every other person is a child of God. And God's laws all apply to me just as much as they apply to any other person. Therefore, there is no need for me to judge. And I cannot ever become a judge. Now, this is, again, where I feel the predictions about my coming are false. Mm-hmm. So there's this whole idea and concept in the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, that I will come as a judge and executioner of the wicked. Mm-hmm. This is completely false. It's not something that I wish to do, and it's certainly not something that God wishes me to do, And it's, but it is what most people want me to do. Mm-hmm. Most people who practice or believe they practice truth want somebody to come along and get rid of all the bad people for them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's what they want. It's a it's a very dark emotion, actually. What they want is they don't want to have to go to kill the bad person themselves. They want somebody else come along and do it for them, and and that will never occur. God's never going to do that for you. God's created the universe perfectly. Everything is working perfectly, and the reason why things happen happen the way they do is because of people's choices that are out of harmony with love. Mm-hmm. I know that. I've known that for two thousand years. I'm never going to return in the manner that is predicted in those verses of the Bible. Mm. So what we'll do in the future questions is we'll go through the specific verses of the Bible and talk about them. But if people can see from the two illustrations that I've given about these verses, that firstly they are contradictory in their, in what they're saying. They're contradictory not necessarily within themselves, but towards my own nature
2: mm-hmm. and
1: towards God's nature.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: God is not like that and I am not like that because I want to become at one with God and have been at one with God in the past, you know, for many years, Um, I am not like that either and I'm never going to become like that and I'm never going to do those things.
2: Mm.
1: And their Jesus, if they don't believe I'm Jesus, their Jesus is never going to do them either. And you can see that from the Bible quite clearly. Their Jesus is never going to take the actions that they say their Jesus will take. Mm -hmm because there Jesus is at one with God and God never takes those actions. And there Jesus has a, is a pacifist, is a person who who's always focused on love, truth, peace and those kind of qualities. He never would take something by force and he never did. Mm-hmm. And if they don't believe I'm Jesus, they at least need to see that there Jesus would never take the actions that the Bible often says he should or would take.
0: Mm. Mm. The Bible says that Jesus will be our judge, so for example in John uh, 5 verses 26 to 30 it says, For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Hmm. So do you see yourself as the judge of mankind?
1: No, definitely not. I am definitely not the judge of mankind. This uh, Bible verse is false, completely false, and was added after my death. I never stated it. Um, it was something that was added because it was what people and many of my disciples wanted me to be. And, and quite frequently during my life on earth, many of my disciples wanted to force me into actions that I did not wish to take. Mm -hmm. And then after my passing, they wanted to write about actions that I supposedly would take sometime in the future that I did not wish to take. And it is also very inconsistent about my character because this particular verse states that I have accepted the role of judgment from God. However, if you look at other Bible verses, it's quite clear that I have, uh, have not accepted such a role. And in fact, uh, in other Bible verses that we we can examine, I've have said to people that they should not judge themselves, and that I do not have the right to judge either. And in fact, perhaps if I could just mention a few of them. For okay. example, uh, the right to judge themselves. I've said in Matthew seven one to uh, verse one and two, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge, as you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you so i've said to people don't judge now it'd be very hypocritical of me as a leader to judge people when i'm saying to any followers to not judge people yeah that would be a, that would be a pinnacle of hypocrisy mm-hmm. and it's not so, uh, hypo, hypo, hypocritical actions are not what i take in uh, luke 12 it says that uh, somebody in the crowd said to him teacher tell my brother to divide the her- inheritance with me and jesus replied man who appointed me a judge you know, so in other words i'm saying to him like i'm not your judge you know yeah. i'm not the person who's going to judge these matters and in john three seventeen, it says for god did not send the son into the world to condemn the world i didn't come to condemn the world never have never will
3: mm-hmm.
1: like this is the thing i came i came to present to the world the principles of what can save your soul or what actually transform you into a new being in fact what the process of being born again is all about that's why i came and then in john 13 um or, or, sorry 12 47 and 48 i say to people but as for the person who hears my words but does not keep them i do not judge him and i don't that's how i feel yeah. if, if you listen to my words and you don't want to do it that's fine i got i got no problems with you I know the way the universe works is that anybody who listens to these words and actually does them will benefit immensely from their actions. Anybody who listens to these words and does nothing about them eventually will benefit, but not immensely, not, not to the great uh, ability that we have if we connect to God. We can still benefit, we can still grow, we can still change, we can still have a happy life, but it's not going to be anywhere near as happy mm-hmm. as what it's possible when, you've got a, when you're in the condition of one moment with God. And then I say, um, there is a judge for the one who rejects me, and it's not me; mm. uh, it's God. So and God's laws judge people. Like every God's laws are judging people every single day. Every single day, anything that you do out of harmony with love is automatically judged, and and the soul is automatically written in it. The compensation, if you like, the 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 um, what's the word I'm looking for the the reason, the,
0: the penalty or the effect? The effect
1: of yeah. what, of breaking that particular law. So, so, you know, every time I break a particular law of God, the effect of the breaking of law is in my soul immediately. Mm. And, and, and in that way, I'm judged. Um, it's not something that happens at some kind of death or when I die or once I'm resurrected or any of those kind of things as the Bible suggests. Now, I know that and I knew that in the first century. So I would never say words to the contrary.
0: I, so what you're saying is, because this the Bible depicts you as a future judge, often doesn't it? That you will come back to judge. Yeah. So there's a there's a large belief in this or, or a depiction that there is a future day of judgment, or when we pass, or when you come back, that's when judgment will happen. But yeah. from what you're saying, you're saying it's already happening. It's already
1: happening every single moment. It's happening. Yeah. We're we're being basically judged every single moment of our lives because every single action we take the way God's created the universe is the the compensatory effect of every single action we take is automatically written on our souls we can't avoid it we're not going to ever avoid it Mm -hmm. and there's only two ways to process it one is through what's called the law of compensation which is a slow laborious way of working through every single thing that you've done wrong or the law of repentance which is a very fast rapid way of self-analysis and seeing everything that you've done wrong personally and and wanting to be forgiven for what you've done wrong. They're the two different ways that I taught in the first century that I've taught the last 2,000 years. I also have taught people right from the time when I was in the first century, as you know, the principles of free will, the principles of the ability to make a choice, the principles that the choices we make will have a bearing on our future life, both on earth and in the spirit world. These principles do not require any judgment on my part. They do not require anything. God is so perfect and God is so clever that God does not need some archaic, arbitrary judgment system in order to enforce God's laws or in in, in order to have control of the universe. Mm -hmm. And people need to give up these flawed human concepts of God and receive some of God's love so that they can understand the true concepts about God, which are far greater than anything the majority of people can imagine at this point in time on earth. So I feel, again, this verse, this verse in John five, twenty-six to 30, is just another one of these verses that were added. They were added as a combination of the concept of my disciples and what they wanted to believe and future modifications made to the Bible after my, after my death. And remember, the Bible wasn't, the, Greek, the, the New Testament was not written at the time of my death. Yeah. So, so these were all things written after my death where people were relating about something and saying things about something and so forth that, that were not my words but which they put into my mouth and unfortunately nowadays many people believe erroneously. Mm. If a person analyses my true character and nature, they would never believe such words but unfortunately, most people are so disconnected from my true character and nature because they are disconnected from God's true character and nature,
2: mm-hmm.
1: they, they believe such things readily. Yeah. And the reason, one of the reasons why they believe such things readily is because this is how they're taught from the time they're born on earth that their parents are their judges. Yeah. Their parent is the person who's going to come along and condemn them or say that they're good people depending on what they do. This is a this is a human concept of love, which is very flawed from God's perspective, and uh, but it's imposed upon God and myself,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and both of us have no, you know, we we have nothing to do with it. Yeah,
2: um,
1: these are flawed human concepts that need to be given up, and there are parts of the Bible that really need to be almost discounted completely, mm-hmm. um, because they do not contain any love in them, and they also do not contain any justice in them and they are also hypocritical Mm. that you know i'm actually advising people to do things that i'm not prepared to do myself now what god would institute a system that one of his sons can do get away with murder because that's what they're saying that i'm going to do Mm. if i'm going to kill the wicked then i'm a murderer
2: Mm.
1: and what what that what these people who are christian are saying is that one son jesus is allowed to get away with murder.
0: Well, I suppose they view you as God, do they? I understand it.
1: So they're basically saying God's allowed to get away with murder. And this is why many of them believe they're allowed to get away with murder and that's why many of them go to war. But Mm -hmm. it's all false. Mm -hmm. It's all out of harmony with the truth about God. It's all out of harmony with the truth about love. Mm -hmm. And when they pass over in the spirit world as a murderer, they'll soon find that out. They'll realize that all of this self-justification of war all of this justification about you know being able to kill somebody else for, the, for God's sake is all false mm-hmm. and it's all in error and it's all out of harmony with love. And, and also every time they do it, there's a penalty on their soul for doing it. There's a consequence on their soul for their actions that are taken out of harmony with love. If they knew that, they'd never believe a lot of these things.
2: Yeah.
1: And, uh, and unfortunately, sometimes it has been better for people to not believe them than believe them. Yeah. Because, it, because to believe something that is false is a more difficult proposition than not believing anything at all. Mm. If you believe something that's false, you've got to give up the false thing to accept the truth. If you don't believe anything at all, there's nothing to give up in order to accept the truth.
2: Yeah, sure.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Okay, thank you. The Bible says in Matthew 24, verses 29 to 31, that Jesus in the second coming would come and destroy the wicked. So, And I'll quote from those verses. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Mm. What's your response to this verse? Mm-hmm. Why haven't you returned in the clouds, as the Bible verse states?
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and if you were or are Jesus, why haven't you already made things right here on
2: earth? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, these are very common questions that we're asked by Christians and And you know obviously the verses in matthew twenty four luke luke twenty one and mark thirteen are regularly quoted to us mm-hmm. about the reason why I cannot be jesus yeah. and we have covered in many other questions already the you know what's actually happened with these particular verses but let's uh loose look at this scripture first, it doesn't really say anything about making things right on earth if you read it if you read it properly, it actually says that the people on earth would mourn. Mm. So that doesn't sound like things are going to be right for them. So there's this presumption uh, in many religious groups of people that if Jesus came to the earth, he'd make things right for them. But the reality is all that many of the predictions about Jesus coming, which I'm not saying are true, but but the Bible, which the Bible portrays, as me coming and hurting people and, in Mm. fact, murdering people, killing Mm. people is what the Bible is stating. And and many of the people who, who, who want this to happen are Christians. And the reason why they want it to happen is because they want people who are not practicing what they believe is true to be killed so that they can get on with practicing what they believe is true. And uh, that's not how God works, and it's certainly not how I work and never have worked. If you look at my attitude towards unbelievers in the first century, it was a lot more tolerant than that, and I certainly would never perpetrate any violence towards a person who, who decides to not believe me. And, uh, and a person has the complete free will choice to not believe anything I say. I'm perfectly tolerant of that. So this, that's the first thing I probably would like to say about this particular verse in that, uh, you know, when people quote it to me, they forget my nature and character and they also forget that, uh, that God has no desire to harm the wicked. God mm-hmm. has a desire to correct The wicked. Mm -hmm. God has a desire to see the wicked turn into good people. Mm -hmm. The reason why I spent most of my time not with the self-righteous in the first century, which I feel many Christians have become, but rather with the people who saw themselves as sinners, is because they were more open to receiving the truth. Mm. They were more open to receiving the truth about themselves, and they were more open to receiving a relationship with God than the people who were self-righteously determining that they were better than everyone else. Mm-hmm. The Pharisees were people who determined that they were better than everyone else. And as a result of that, they were not very open to truth and they were certainly not very humble. They, they had the complete inability for self-examination.
2: Yeah. Sure.
1: Now, I don't have a Christian's perspective about God. I don't have a Christian's perspective about love. I don't have a Christian's perspective about truth. Because all of the Christians' perspective about God, love, and truth uh, have all been based around the Bible, and and as I've mentioned in other questions, they are flawed. They mm. are flawed perspectives. So I don't have that perspective of uh, assuming power, of assuming becoming a judge, of, of of destroying the wicked, of of you know fixing up the earth. Because I already know that God is my ruler. God is my ruler. Yeah. God is my king, and I only wish to do that which God's love would instruct me to do, Uh and it certainly would never instruct me to destroy the wicked.
0: Well, what about in this verse? It says, not, as you said, it doesn't say really that you're going to destroy the wicked. Right. It just says you're going to gather up and elect people, yep. which doesn't, you might leave the wicked alone and just gather all these people up off to somewhere in the clouds with you. Um. Well, it
1: says that I'll gather them to the clouds, but the reality is the whole reason why I'm here is to help gather more people who wish to become more loving and truthful. Uh and that is certainly a truth and if you look at it metaphorically Mm -hmm. um, you could certainly say that this verse is true that when I come I will come with my friends which my angels are which the angels are in the heavens the angels are just people on who used to live on earth who are now at one with God who are my mates in the spirit world and I and have definitely come with them there's plenty of them on the planet at the moment helping me out and And I've come to, you know, share the truth with others and to gather the people who are willing to listen to it. And that is exactly true. That's exactly what I've done. So the irony is if you looked at it more metaphorically, um, there is a lot of potential truth Uh in this verse, but that's not how Christians see it. See, Christians see it not metaphorically, but they see it as literal. They see it as me coming on the cloud. Now, if I sat on a cloud, I would only be seen by people around about you know, 50 miles from the cloud or, or about 70 kilometres at the most from the cloud, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not going to be seen by everyone on earth. In fact, given that the earth is a circle,
2: yeah.
1: it's a physical impossibility for somebody to be seen in every location on the earth at the same time.
2: Yeah.
1: It's a physical impossibility,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? So, so, so even to believe in the verse as a literal statement, is illogical, Mm
0: -hmm. and it's
1: also a physical impossibility.
0: So what about a Christian who doesn't believe in it in a very, very literal sense, Mm -hmm. but has the sense that on your return it will be known globally and there will be a sense of great power and glory returning to the earth in in the sense of love being very powerful and glorious yeah. so what would you say to that christian
1: well i'd say to that christian that they're interpreting interpreting things very well like from the above that's exactly what i hope to achieve it's not going to be achieved instantly as the verse as tends to suggest because to change people's hearts takes time yeah. it's not something that can happen overnight i'm not going to come and just manipulate people's hearts somehow to to acceptance. I'm going to present truth because it's the truth that sets people free. And there will be lots of people eventually who wish to listen to this truth. I've only just begun, I've barely begun, in yeah. fact, because because I'm not yet at one with God. And it takes firstly me becoming at one with God for me to begin the rest of the work. Mm-hmm. So the reality is that I, I've barely begun the work of my return. And uh, and you know I began that work around eight or nine years ago, and and I'm continuing the work now. And eventually, once I become one, we've got I'll actually begin the actual work of of distributing the truth in the manner that I wish to. And there may be many people who listen as a result. And in fact, the entire world will know eventually. That's my hope. And
0: so, and this is my question, I suppose, um, when you feel that. Uh, when you achieve the state of at-one with God, obviously that does mean that you will be reflecting a lot of love. Exactly. Exactly. And it wouldn't be a case of manipulating people's hearts. Would you say that that would just affect people's hearts? And it would be known globally.
1: Of course. Like people find already in my company, even though I'm not at-one with God, just my stating of the truth causes them to cry and to have emotional experiences that they've never had before. Just being in my presence now. So once I become at one with God what will what will happen?
2: Yeah.
1: Things will certainly happen. The people who are resistive to truth feel very angry in my company. Instantly. They a lot of times they don't even know why. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're just yeah. instantly angry, just like people were in the first century. And I'm not yet even at one with God. And yeah. for that and what do you think is going to happen when I am? <laughs> yeah. So these kind of things will certainly happen.
0: So my question really is then about this verse that <laughs> Could we say then that the second coming is really not you? you the second coming they're anticipating, say, in this verse of mm. great power and glory through and and a knowledge of the a presence of this love that is powerful and glory, yeah. and glorious. Yeah. Um, that that will occur once you achieve at one moment with God again here on earth. Mm. That will be the second coming that they are. Uh, some of them are waiting
2: for
1: yes but i'm not going to come on a cloud no and i'm not going to gather your lick to a cloud yes you know i and it's a physical impossibility for me to be seen by everyone on earth at the same time unless i i I turn into some kind of spiritual being with multiple bodies uh, which i don't expect will occur although it is possible because i I am capable of producing multiple spirit bodies at the same time but but you know these are all things that you know, can be done, but I don't really have a strong desire to do, so I don't see myself doing them.
0: And I suppose also what you're saying very clearly is this this idea of gathering an elect implies some sort of judgment and that you wouldn't, that is not your nature nor God's. Not at all.
1: It's, all I wish to do is gather the people who want to have a relationship with God and help them have a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the people who don't want to have a relationship with God, I'm perfectly fine with that. You're allowed to not have a relationship with God. That's how God feels. Sure. And that's how I feel.
2: Sure.
1: God created a system in which you are allowed to not have a relationship with God. God's not going to punish you for not having a relationship with God. God, God doesn't give you freedom only to take it away, only mm. to punish you for the wrong choice. God gives you freedom to choose. But, but when I say freedom, God gives you freedom based around love. So mm. as long as you choose love... You have complete freedom. If you if you choose love and decide that you're not going to love God, you've still got a lot of freedom, mm-hmm. right? From God's perspective, you can you're completely free to do that. You're just never going to become at one with God, and so never going to have the benefits of such a relationship. That's yeah. all. And when I say that's all, that's quite a lot for me. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's something that I would definitely not want to do. But yeah. but but it, but for a person who doesn't believe it's very important, well, they're probably not going to believe it's that important as I do. The key for them to bear in mind is that God gives this freedom and God doesn't take it away arbitrarily. God has given the freedom for people to make a choice, but God has not given us a choice about love. Mm -hmm. And when I say God has not given us a choice about love, what God has done is allowed us the free will to choose to be unloving, but God has created a universe that corrects unloving behavior. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And in that regard we get corrected if we choose to be unloving. And I know that, and I've known that for 2,000 years, and that's why I'd never do some of the things the Bible suggests that I would do. Sure,
2: sure.
1: Um, I said, uh, I feel it's important probably to also address some of the issues. Like, in this particular verse, it raises a lot of issues uh, or contradictions, mm-hmm. in my opinion, of my nature. So, for example... Um, it's basically saying that I'm coming to judge people and I'm going to pull out the people who I believe are good. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm going to either, you know, there's other verses that suggest I'll get rid of or burn with fire the people who I believe are bad. Yeah. Right. And in fact, there's a verse in Matthew 24 that suggests such a thing. But, but, but then again, if you look at say Matthew 18 and you look at verses like this, where in, in 21 and 22 I said, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And some verses say 77 77. times seven.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. And what was I? So so my attitude towards people who sin against me is to forgive them. How could I ever contemplate killing them if my attitude is to forgive them? Yeah. I could never contemplate killing them if my attitude is to forgive them. So any person who believes that I'm going to return and kill the wicked has a flawed concept of my own nature and the nature of God. Hmm. Um, If we look at perhaps uh, Revelation 19 verse 15, here's here's the second contradiction in the opposite direction. It says, um, where is it? It says, the armies of heavens were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty.
2: Wow.
1: Very dark verse. This verse was was penned by by a man who was not the Apostle John. Um, It was a modification to the book of Revelation penned by a man who was violent in his nature, who had some very violent spirits with him, and he basically was saying that God has rage in him and that I would come and express God's rage to humanity. Mm -hmm. What a load of crap, to be frank. Like, why would I ever, ever contemplate expressing God's rage when God doesn't have rage, for Mm -hmm. a start, God is never wrathful with humanity. God is never unkind to anyone. God is always forgiving. God knows God's laws will eventually correct every wrong, so God doesn't have a need to punish people or destroy people. So this verse is completely false and and written by people people who you know were also under heavy influence of very dark spirits. Uh, but incorporated into the Bible because it was a copyist of the Bible mm-hmm. at the time. And if we look at another, so, so there's there's one there's a, there's a you know.
0: So in one verse it's saying that you you're preaching forgiveness, and in the other that you will actually that, that God's have got and fury, and that you would be an instrument of that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. How 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 much opposed can you be yeah. to to each other? And uh, there's another one. I think it was in Matthew five. Uh, here's another verse. This is contrary again. It says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, this is me speaking now, according to this scripture, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in the heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rains upon the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. And what was I suggesting there? God is never going to take actions of violence towards people mm-hmm. that he's created. Mm-hmm. He's never going to do it. He, he only takes corrective action towards people. And he's saying here, and I'm saying here, that you must love your enemies so much that you're willing to put up with the negative things your enemies do towards you.
2: Yeah.
1: And and if if I'm recommending that to people, and yet I don't practice that myself, I'm a hypocrite. Yeah. And if I'm recommending that God says to do that and God doesn't actually do it, then God's a hypocrite. Yeah. So the reality is if God destroys the wicked, God's a hypocrite. Mm. Because God's asking me to not or other people to not do it, but God will do it herself or himself. Now, I suggest to you, God is never a hypocrite. God will never destroy the wicked. God created them. God is going to correct the wicked. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to be corrected. It may take a long time, but they'll be corrected. Yeah, And that's a guarantee because all of God's laws of the universe are designed to correct.
0: And so it's not going to happen when you say it could take some time. It's not going to happen on a day of judgment. There's not going to be fiery um, damnation not. all in a moment. No. There, there are laws in place, yes. is basically what you're saying. And exactly. they're always at work and they'll continue to work.
1: They'll continue to work forever. God never changes the laws that God places in place. They've always existed. They always will continue to exist. God is perfect. God knows what laws to make. Yeah. <laughs> God knows how, you know, God, God knows, you know, the capacity of man. God created the capacity of man, mm-hmm. so he knows it. He knows the capacity of man is to be very evil because God created the potential of man making choices that make them evil.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But God didn't tell them to go evil. God wants them to choose good.
0: So then for, for Christian people watching who perhaps have a feeling that, um, and I hope I'm doing their questions justice, mm-hmm. but if they have a feeling that the purpose of your second coming is to bring this judgment mm-hmm. and you're now saying definitively that is not the case no. what is the purpose then of your second coming
1: uh, there are multiple purposes of the second coming the, one of them is to illustrate further truths that i illustrated in the first century to the planet these include truths about the soul union state the the unified soul mate state that was not available in the first century we also have come to illustrate divine femininity on the planet. So there's another, you know, that's not really been seen on the planet up to this point, and we want to illustrate that by becoming at one with God and being, and for yourself, being the feminine expression of God. <laughs> well, and that rather. that
0: really includes me. That that statement doesn't it? To exactly, be the feminine expression. Yeah,
1: exactly. The third thing is we want to demonstrate what a soul union is, what it what it means for the two halves of the soul to be one person, what it means to be the one soul. Okay. We, we want to illustrate many truths about the universe and how the universe works. We also have done it for our own discovery, for our own, because this is something nobody's done yet. This is the first time it's been done, so we wanted to try it and see how it <laughs> turns out. You know, sometimes we regret that decision <laughs> and sometimes we feel it was a great decision. And I feel in the future we'll always feel it's a great decision. Um, There are also other things that we would like to do. We understand that God is not always going to have the uh, desire to give her love to people who continue to refuse it. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We understand that God's going to withdraw that desire to give love to people who continue to refuse it for a period of time. And it would be a shame for people to miss out on this first harvest, if you like, this this first time on this planet that God has offered love. For the last 2,000 years it's been offered. And it'd be a shame for people to miss out on it. Mm-hmm. So so what we would like to do is, and we're not saying in the future that God would not offer it again. In fact, we fully expect that God would offer it again. But, but there'll be a period of time where we believe God will not offer this love. And so, you know, we wanted to tell people that there's an opportunity that's still available to you. Take it, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I can think of many hundreds of other reasons for returning in the manner in which we have done sure. to illustrate what it means to be a loving person on earth. To, to do it without forcing people into coming into acknowledgement, to cause people to have to reason about what they do, the choices they make, you know, that are unloving, to cause them to see what it means to live a life of love. All, all these different things, you know, there's so many hundreds of things that we can't list them all now, but they are all good reasons for coming, not destroy the wicked.
2: That's yeah, yeah. a
1: very gotcha. poor reason, but also not a reason that God would ever engage And as a result of my connection with God, I could never engage. I know other Christians would certainly like it to happen, but I've suggested to them that they're not very connected to God if they believe it's going to happen.
0: Mm. Thank Mm. you. Mm. Mm. In Matthew 24, verses 23 to 27, Mm. it says, Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, Do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead you astray, if possible, even the elect. How do we know you're not a false prophet like this Bible verse has warned?
1: Well, firstly, I'm not performing great signs. (laughs) So um, I find it interesting sometimes because I'm criticised for not performing great signs. But I'm actually not performing great signs at the moment, and uh, and I'm still being criticised. <laughs> so <laughs> no matter what you do, people criticise you. But um, with regard to this issue of false prophets, certainly that is something I did say. You know that uh, people would be false with you, and there are many people who are teachers who are false, and there are many people who are saying no prophets that are false. There are many people currently influenced by spirits, deeply influenced by spirits. And they're all often falsely portraying themselves as, you know, speakers of truth, if you like.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So what we need to do is work out a way to determine who's false and who isn't. But I also said that in the Bible as well. So there's a Bible verse in Matthew 7 that uh, talks about how to determine whether somebody is false and, and what to do if somebody is false. And this is what it says. It says, watch out for false prophets... They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So what I was saying uh, then, and I actually did say those words, or similar to those words, was that the only real way that a person can determine whether somebody is a a good person, or a a good prophet, if we can call it that, or a person who is deceitful or bad, is by examining their life over a period of time and see how they act and deal with everybody around them and to see what actually happens. Mm -hmm. For a prophet to be true, what he prophesies needs to come true. So, if uh, and there are things that I um, have prophesied in the sense that uh, that have come true. Um, there are many times when I'm asked questions, and I say, "Oh, I feel that this will happen, but I wouldn't go ahead and prophesy that it would happen mm-hmm. because I don't believe I don't that I know whether that will come true or not." And sure. probably Earth change events fit into that category. Yeah. And um, I have a feeling about it, but but I'm not prophesying about it. To prophesy about something, you have to have a definite feeling that it is something that is true. And at this point in time, everything that I say generally is about my memories, and it's, and so I know they're true. Yeah. And so that's why I say them as if they are truth, because I know that they are. But a false prophet will say things about the future or say things about a teaching, mm-hmm. that when you practice it, it turns out not to be true. Simple as that. And, uh, and so that's how you can tell. You can tell by the fruitage of what happens when you follow such a teaching. So my suggestion to people is they don't need to be that afraid of false prophets or people who are deceitful because sooner or later you work out whether they're deceitful or not. A lot of the people who I've uh, dealt with have felt that I'm deceitful after a period of time, mm. interestingly. And one of the reasons why is because eventually they come up against something personally that they ask me a question and I give them a direct answer, but it's not an answer that they like. And a lot of people are not very truthful with themselves about answers they don't like. What they do is they blame the deliverer of the information rather than looking at themselves and looking at their response to the information. Mm -hmm. So most people in my life, Uh, interact with me for a period of time and then when they hear something they do not like they then accuse me of all sorts of things that before that period of time they didn't feel I did and that's being false with myself and it's also being false with other people that they tell those things to and one of the reasons why we are very open now on the internet about what we say and do And why we record almost everything that we say and do with people is because we've had many dealings with people where people have claimed that I've said something that has not been true and we have actual recordings to prove that what they claim is not true and and in the future we feel very strongly that we want to make sure that people who claim things that are false we would like to be able to say no this is actually what happened and that's the reason why we record those things. But sooner or later, the point that I'm getting at is that sooner or later people will know the truth based on what happens. So there's no need to judge right in the moment. So what a lot of people do, particularly a lot of Christians, they go, we can't listen to you because the Bible says there would be a false prophets come, and you're one of those. Mm -hmm. So how are they ever going to recognize their Jesus when he returns? Well, they say, oh, because he'll be like a flash of lightning from the east to the west, and the sun will turn to this and the moon will turn to blood and everything, and then we'll know.
2: Yeah.
1: And I'm saying, well, none of those things will happen. And we have scriptural evidence, even, Bible-based ev- evidence, that Jesus would not engage in any of those things yeah. and that God would not engage in any of those things. So assuming that none of those things will happen, what are you going to do to determine who's the G- the actual Jesus, who claims to be Jesus? Because at the moment on the earth, there are, there are thousands of people claiming to be Jesus. hmm Some of them have very large followings. I was watching a video the other day about a man in Russia who's 50,000 or so people following him, and uh, he can't give a direct answer about any subject uh, when he's interviewed, but lots and lots of people are following him. Yeah. And and he teaches that women are lesser than men, and he teaches quite a number of other things that are false. Um, And, you know, sooner or later, by their works, you will know them, you know. And even if the works mean by their works they finish up passing and passing into the spirit world, then you'll know them. Sooner or later, you'll know who the real Jesus is and who the real Jesus isn't. Sure. But there are hundreds of thousands of spirits who claim to be me, and there are thousands of people on earth who claim to be me, and the only way to tell who is the real me is by determining by the fruitage of the person. That's the only real way of determining and it's the same in the first century. there were thousands of people who claimed to be the Messiah while I was alive. there were hundreds of people who claimed to be the Messiah. While I was alive, many of them finished up getting got got get, they finished up murdered by the Roman army mm. because they were leading rebellions against the Roman army claiming to be the Messiah, and many people followed them. but if a person was looking at the truth and love, they would never have followed such a person. Mm. So, you know that 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 again was the key by the fruitage of the person you would recognise.
0: So you're saying really that um, with regard to the first scripture that I quoted about the false prophets and mm-hmm. how how we know you're not a false prophet is to really examine the, your fr- fruits to to reference the other scripture. Yeah. Firstly, and I have
1: not performed any powerful works or miracles or anything else at this point in time. So so. I am not misleading people by performing powerful works and miracles. There, there are a lot of people on the earth who are misleading people by performing miracles, by the way, who are being assisted by spirits to perform such miracles.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and they mislead a lot of people. But I'm not one of them because mm-hmm. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. All I'm doing at this point in time is sharing truth with people and being very direct and honest and open in my statements with people, yeah. which is certainly not pre- performing miraculous signs or miraculous works. Mm-hmm. So I don't even fit into the category the of the quotation, really. Yeah. However, if I did, yeah. you know, because I am claiming that I am Jesus and I might fit into the category then, then the key is, again, you're going to have to look at my conduct and my dealings with everybody over a long period of time before you're going to know.
2: Yeah.
1: That's the reality.
0: Yeah, and, and I suppose something else you touched on in your answer was... Um the sense of fear that many uh, mm. Christians have surrounding this verse from Matthew and needing to be cautious. And you have actually said in your answer that there's no need to be so cautious. If you examine the fruits of a person, uh, then you'll know one way or another and there's no
1: need yeah. to. for example, if there's a man claiming to be Jesus and you see in his dealings with women that he's basically a sexual predator then you know that he can't be Jesus. It's quite simple. Jesus would not be a sexual predator, and I'm certainly not a sexual predator. And many people claim that I am, or they want to claim that I am, but there's no proof or evidence of it. I've had one relationship in the last 10 years, and that's with you. Like, so, you know, how how does that make me a sexual predator? Every single person who ever sees me in a seminar does not ever feel any sexual energy come from me. Yeah. So, so how, you know, how the evidence is not there. Yeah. So pe- in the first century, people made all sorts of claims. And the Bible shows this. In the, in the Bible, it says that they claimed that I was the son of the devil. Mm-hmm. They claimed that I healed people because I was the son of the devil. They claimed that uh, I was mad and crazy. And they claimed that I was some kind of deviant of some kind. Usually it was sexual or um, political in nature. And they claimed many things, all of which were false, which any person who was close by me could see quite clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, many people are doing exactly, making exactly the same claims today, exactly the same claims, Yeah. all of which are also false. But they're perfectly happy to make the claims while they can get away with it. And while nobody sort of suggests differently. Yeah,
0: and I suppose uh, where I was heading with my question is you're saying that Christians don't need to be afraid. They are afraid because of this scripture. Why don't they need to be afraid? You're saying we can examine the fruits, but um, there's certainly a feeling uh, in some of the Christians that I've spoken to. Mm -hmm. They have a feeling that somehow they'll be tricked and perhaps And deceived. Deceived, Mm -hmm. uh, which the scripture sort of implies, Mm -hmm. uh, that they can be led astray. And you're saying they don't need to be afraid of that. Is that right? Well,
1: not really, no. No. Um, I'm not saying they need to be afraid of anything. The reality is that a person who's connected with God receives divine love and receives truth from God. They are able to determine truth in what other people say to them. Mm -hmm. So there's no need to be afraid of what other people say to them. I'm not afraid of what anybody says to me. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people make all sorts of claims to me about themselves and I'm not afraid of any of them. Mm -hmm. There's no need for a person to be afraid. There is the need for a person to be able to logically analyse and look the way through material that they receive. There's definitely a need to to do that. And there's also a definite need to be circumspect about what you actually follow. Yeah you certainly do need to do that. It's no good following a course of action which would cause you to finish up murdering someone when, you know, the Bible's quite plainly against such behaviour and also your own feelings of love would be such against such behaviour. Mm-hmm. That being said, why do people go to war? Mm-hmm. They follow a government into war. Why do they do that? Because they're willing to, sur- to, to dismiss the feelings of their heart based around love and they're willing to accept a prerogative to do something out of harmony with love based on some other kind of pressure that they're receiving. Mm-hmm. Now, a person who who is in a good connection with God and themselves would never do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, So even if, I was atten- if somebody attempted to force me to go to war, I'd rather go to jail than go to war and I'd rather be murdered myself than go to war. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. Um, so I'd never go to war under any circumstance. I'd even rather see you murdered than me go to war. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have a trouble with that. Yeah. But that's how strongly I feel about the subject. There is no way a person can manipulate me into going to war, even by killing my loved ones.
0: So that's why you're saying that people need not be afraid. Exactly. Because if they have uh, some kind of moral uh, integrity, then they can't really be swayed.
1: Not only if they have moral integrity. If they understand the truth that comes from this relationship with God they would understand that there's nothing to fear from death. They would understand there's nothing to fear from any of these particular activities, so why would you worry about them? The only worry is what can manipulate you out of a condition of love.
2: Mm.
1: Like, to me, that's the main concern a person should have. What is manipulating me right at this moment out of my condition of love and into some kind of addiction and into some kind of unloving behaviour? That's the worry. That's the thing people should be concerned about mm. if they're going to be concerned about anything.
0: Isn't that what they're <laughs> afraid of, though, with false prophets, that somehow a false prophet will manipulate them out of a condition of No, life?
1: most of the time they're afraid of punishment. They're right. afraid of punishment from an angry God saying, you shouldn't have believed that, I'm going to kill you as a result. Yeah. There's nothing to be afraid of from God about that yeah. because God isn't an angry God who's going to punish them. So, so they don't need to be afraid of that the only thing they need to be concerned about is what is going to take them out of harmony with love. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Going to war is going to take somebody out of harmony with love. So I wouldn't do it if I was you because it's going to take you out of harmony with love. Now, any person who preaches it from the pulpit is out of harmony with love. In fact, he's more culpable Mm -hmm. because he's encouraging people to go to war and murder other people. Mm. So he's definitely out of harmony with love. And I'd be very concerned about that if I was sitting down in my church and the minister started talking about you know, treating, you know, going to war and killing other people in defence of your country, I'd be getting up and walking out and I don't know if I'd go back because, mm-hmm. to be honest, that person is trying to manipulate me out of love. Mm-hmm. You know, if the person got up and it pre- if the preacher got up and started talking to me about how I should treat you, you know, as lesser than me and I sh- you should be subject to me and I should be able to boss you around and tell you what to do and you've got to take that because that's how Christ treats the congregation and all those kind of things, which is also a lie, and... I would be very worried about that because that's a manipulation out of harmony with love.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: and so what I would do under those circumstances is I'd be very concerned. I'd treat the person definitely as a false prophet or a false teacher under those circumstances because it's very obvious that what he's teaching is out of harmony with love. Mm. And while it might be in harmony with the Bible, it's still out of harmony with love. Mm. And this is where I'm saying the Bible is not always in harmony with love.
2: Yeah.
1: And if I treat if I treat the Bible as only God's word, all of God's word, every single time, then I'm going to be doing a lot of things that are out of harmony with love if I follow it to the letter, mm. and that's not good for my soul, and it's not good for my future progress, it's not good for my relationship with God, because God doesn't care about what a written word says. No. God cares about whether you're in harmony with love or not. Yeah, that's what God cares about. Yeah. So many of these verses that talk about me uh, or worries about you know people like me, <laughs> you know, like people who come along and prophesy something or teach something um people don 't need to be so afraid because you know, and the bible, even the bible in in matthew twenty four encourages fear mm-hmm. which is out of harmony with love, yeah, because I said that love, pure love, throws away all fear, and in fact, if you look at another verse like in the Bible, I think it's in first John, I just turn it up while i 've got the Bible in my hand in first John four, what does it say about fear like and and love it says the two of them can, cannot coexist with each other. It says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So, so here we have a verse, a very true verse, one of the most true verses in the Bible. In fact, it's probably my favorite verse in the Bible. And, and here we've got a verse saying that, If we truly love, we have nothing to fear. Mm -hmm. And then we've got Matthew 24 saying, we've got a lot to fear. Mm. (laughs) And I'm going, no, 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 something's wrong here. Something's inconsistent. If we truly love, we've got nothing to fear because we have the ability to clearly see what's in harmony with love and what's out of harmony with love. We have the ability to, uh, to determine the difference and we have the ability to act using our will in harmony with love every time. Yeah. That's what it means by becoming perfect. Mm. And that's what I referred to when I said, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You cannot become at one with God without becoming perfect and and, and perfected in love. Mm. Now, there are many verses in the Bible that do not encourage perfection in love. And those verses need to be discounted and removed from our life and removed from even our consideration when it comes to what we should do with our life. But there are many verses in the Bible that are very focused on love, like the one I just read in 1 John 4. And that verse, that is something you definitely need to appreciate the rest of your life, that there is no fear in love. Once you're perfected in love, you won't be afraid of anything. You won't be afraid of a false prophet. You won't be afraid of a deceiver. You'll know when somebody's deceiving you. You'll know when somebody's being false with you. You won't be afraid of you know Jesus coming on the clouds to destroy everybody who doesn't believe because you know that that would never happen. Yeah. Because Jesus is not like that. And you know that as well. Mm-hmm. Because you know that he's proven perfected in love just like you have. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Great. Thank you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: In Matthew 24, mm-hmm. uh, verses 4 and 5, yep. it says And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Mm-hmm. Could you not just be another person who is saying that they are Jesus and so therefore could just be another deceiver, Mm. as stated in this verse?
1: Yeah, good question. Now, um, firstly, I did say those words. Mm -hmm. So I did say that the people need to be careful about people who deceive them or attempt to deceive them. I was aware already that there were a growing number of spirits in the spirit world who were ready to deceive people by claiming that they were me. And as it's turning out now, there are literally, as as I've said uh, in other times, there are literally hundreds of thousands of spirits in the spirit world who go around to people on earth and in the spirit world claiming to be me. And some of those people who they go to are definitely deceived. In addition, on earth there are thousands of people who claim to be me. And, uh, And many of the people who listen to them are deceived. That's the fact. And could I be a deceiver? Yes, of course I could. Under the same circumstances, I could be a deceiver. However... I can't be a deceiver just by somebody claiming that I'm a deceiver based on a Bible scripture.
2: Sure.
1: See, many of the people who email me these kind of emails do not realise that they're basically saying that the Bible says that deceivers will come, so you must be a deceiver. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I'm going, well, there's no logic in that argument whatsoever. Firstly, if the Bible says deceivers will come, then deceivers will certainly come. I'd agree with that. But it doesn't automatically make me a deceiver. Yeah. What makes me a deceiver? A deceiver is a person who purposefully manipulates the truth in order to control or manipulate other people and and perhaps do things based on their own ends and and means. A deceiver knows the truth themselves but chooses to tell a lie. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: That's what a deceiver does. Now, I would say that many of the people who claim to be me are not deceivers.
2: Mm.
1: Many of them believe themselves to be me, and that doesn't make them a deceiver. It makes them a person who's deluded, which is a very different condition than being a deceiver. A person who is a deceiver knows that they are not me or knows they are not Jesus and still claims to be. And there's many hundreds of thousands of those people in the spirit world who know they are not personally Jesus, but they claim to be me because they get certain things out of it.
2: Yeah.
1: There are also persons on earth who claim to be me, and they know they're not me, but they, think, they say that to get things out of it. But there are other people on earth who claim to be me who are just overcloaked by the deceiving spirits.
2: Sure.
1: The person themselves claiming to, to be me is being deceived by the deceiving spirit.
2: Sure.
1: And I agree that the spirit is deceiving, but the person on earth is deluded and also easily manipulated into belief of something
0: so there's a lot going on
1: so there's a lot going on but but also i want to make this point and that is just because the bible talks about deceivers it does not mean that i am one yeah and any person who sends me an email calling me a deceiver without listening to anything that i've taught and without listening to and without looking at my life or knowing anything about my life is totally illogical they are totally without any scrap of logic in their brain mm. to be able to call someone a deceiver without knowing the person whatsoever. Yeah. A person who is actually a deceiver needs to be tested through their actions. And the person who does that with me will find my actions are very consistent with all of my words, and so therefore I'm not a deceiver. Now, with the with the issue of whether I'm Jesus or not, well, it's going to be very, very hard for any person to determine whether I'm Jesus or not if A, they are not connected with God or, and B, they are not connected with love. It's going to be very, very difficult for them to determine whether I'm a deceiver.
2: Mm.
1: If they're connected with God, as I said in the first century, they would know God's Son. They would know the person who has become at one with God. They would know every person who's become at one with God, actually. So, for example, if you become at one with God and I become at one with God, and we meet each other for the first time, you would know that I'm at one with God Mm -hmm. and I would know that you're at one with God because we both have that direct communication we've got at that moment and we both know. Mm -hmm. If we don't know, it's because A, we're not at one with God yet and B, we have no ability to determine or, or discern what the true character of the other person is. Right. Most of the people who email me these kind of emails have no idea what my true character is they 've never had any personal dealings with me. They base it all on on innuendo media media accusations which are all mostly false yeah. and uh and also their own interpretation of what they believe I would be doing if i if i 'm saying i 'm jesus
2: sure falsely yeah
1: which which is all their own interpretation and assumption it 's got nothing to do with reality yeah. So, so I again suggest that I am not a deceiver and also this verse does not apply to me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: However, you may think it applies to me and and, that's up, and it, I'm perfectly happy for you to have that opinion if that's the opinion you want to retain. Sure.
2: Mm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: Um, were there more things in that subject, I think? Um, I just feel quite strongly that people accuse other people of things that they have no proof of, of yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. And they do it because of their own emotional reasons. To give you an example with this issue, I come along saying I'm Jesus and people go, what is he saying? And they go, oh, he said that God is not an angry God. I can't believe that. He can't be Jesus.
2: Mm.
1: Now, the, the two, those two lo- are not logical conclusions, right? Firstly, as I stated, God is a loving God. God would never be angry. Now, you don't have to believe that. If you want to believe in an angry God, go ahead. Like, you have the free will to do so. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So if you want to believe in an angry God, go ahead and believe in an angry God. However, me saying that God is not an angry God doesn't make me a deceiver. In fact, if the actual truth is that God is not an angry God, and I am saying that God is not an angry God, then I am the only person not deceiving you. Mm-hmm. Because there are so many other religious people who are deceiving you by saying that God is an angry God. All right? Now, to ter- determine deceit, we have to know the truth.
0: I see, yeah.
1: And that's the point of what I'm saying. Yeah. Now, how do we know the truth? We know the truth by receiving divine love, having God's love enter our heart, and then the tr- God exposes the truth to us, not by reading the Bible. Mm. If you read the Bible and you think you know the truth, you're out of harmony with love straight away because there are many things in the Bible that are not true and are completely out of harmony with love.
0: And I suppose that this is where um, some people get a bit caught up, don't they, when they read the Bible or some kind of literature, holy book, something, mm. and they they have... a a sensation that they believe is receiving God's love; that it is validation for what they're reading. In that moment, in that moment, they feel um, overwhelmed by a sense of love,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and, and that's fantastic.
1: They have received divine love.
0: Then they say that because that happened, as I was reading this book, therefore, this I know that this is the truth.
2: And no, you
1: don't know. You only know that in that moment, the very moment you received divine love, in that moment, you were in harmony with truth. Mm. That's the only thing you know. You know nothing else. You can't assume that everything is true when you only read one thing at that moment that caused you to have that experience. Yeah. See, there's all these assumptions that are illogical that are made, and this is what I'm discussing with people. Illogical assumptions are going to be very damaging to your future, very damaging. It's illogical to assume that if you have an experience of receiving divine love when you read one verse, that that means that all of the verses are true. Yeah, That's not true. I've had hundreds of experiences of receiving divine love in the first century and now by reading certain Bible verses. But I know for certain the Bible is not true, completely true. Completely true yeah. I know that the verse that I was reading had a big emotional significance and a big significance in my relationship with God. That's what I know,
2: mm-hmm. nothing else. Yeah.
1: And I don't make illogical assumptions about all the other verses in the Bible based on one verse. Sure.
2: Sure. Mm. Okay. Thank you.
1: And one of the things I'd like to mention about people who quote the Bible to me is they quote the Bible to me, making the presumption that the Bible is true. And I've quite categorically stated in many occasions that the Bible is not true. And anybody who assumes the Bible to be true is already often assuming things that are out of harmony with truth or love.
0: In its entirety, you mean? It's not That's a, correct. True there instance. are
1: certain things that are true yep. inside of it, Sure. but in its entirety it is not true. Yep. And just because a person is quoting a verse to me, it means nothing. And it only proves to me that the person is indoctrinated by the Bible. That's mm-hmm. all it proves. It doesn't prove anything else. It doesn't prove that I'm a deceiver. It doesn't prove that I'm a false prophet. It doesn't even prove that I'm not Jesus. All it proves to me is that they are completely indoctrinated by a book that contains a whole heap of falsehood as well as a whole heap of truth, in my opinion. Yeah. That's all it proves. Like, For example, just because the Bible says something about God, such as God is a person who is wrathful and who will destroy the wicked, it does not mean that that's true about God. Because I know that God will never destroy the wicked and God is not a wrathful being. So... So just because the Bible is saying something's true, it doesn't mean it is true. Mm -hmm. And so I feel it's very important for people to understand that. Secondly, um, I think it's very important for people to get this concept that many of them are being deceived while they claim that I am a deceiver. And what I mean by that is that many of their teachers are deceiving them with things from the Bible that are untrue. Mm. Now, some of the, the teachers are deceived themselves. And so it, it becomes easy for them to state untruth to other people because they do believe they are truths. And I understand that. I get that. So I wouldn't call those teachers deceivers. I'd call them misled. Or in the first century, I'd call them blind guides who lead others into the pit.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, who, who lead other blind people into the pit. And that's what many of the teachers of today are in Christian religion. Mm-hmm. They are blind guides leading blind people into a pit. Now, many people, once they fall in the pit, feel like they've been deceived. Yeah. But many times the person who led them there was just as deceived as the person who got led mm-hmm. to the, that particular condition. What I'm suggesting to people is there is a way to tell about deceit and the way is to actually work through the issues of love on any issue. Instead of believing that the whole of the Bible is God's word, focus on the issues of love that you listen to. So when you hear something and you feel, that doesn't feel like love to me, then put it to one side. Don't just go ahead and believe it because the Bible says it or because your minister said it. Put it to one side and allow time and prayer and other things to gel on this particular issue. Don't try to, you know, intellectually gymnastic yourself into believing it. And what I mean by that is, and I feel a lot of Christians do this, they they do all these intellectual gymnastics in order to believe one thing is true and the other thing is true at the same time.
0: So trying to figure an intellectual...
2: um...
1: Reason why both things should be true. Because they make the presumption that all the Bible is God's word they say when the, when God said that and when God said that, it must mean that I'm confused. It, God must have said that and God must have said that and I'm just confused about how God could have said both things. Yes. Yeah. No, if you're confused, trust me, there's a good chance that God would be just as confused yeah. <laughs> looking at the situation, aside from the fact that God doesn't need to be confused because God knows the emotional reasons why the writer wrote that and why the writer wrote that. Right? The, the writer, yeah. Yeah, the writer of the particular, yeah. uh, particular passages that you're looking at.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: My suggestion to people would be look at each passage and go, if I'm confused, there's something wrong. Yeah. God gave me a logical brain, so if I'm confused, something's wrong. So I need to put both of these verses aside and then test them through love, test them through my feelings of love, and what I believe love to be currently, which might change in the future as you receive more truth, right? Mm -hmm. And allow myself to test this process. Now, if you do not do that, there is a high likelihood in your future you will be deceived by people who either are purposefully attempting to deceive you or who are deceived themselves and have become like blind guides themselves. Mm. You will do that if you are not willing to test things yourself. Testing things yourself requires personal responsibility. Very few people on the planet want to take personal responsibility for their choices in life. God requires you to take personal responsibility for every choice you've ever made. So so this is something out of harmony with God. If you want to put your trust in other people because you don't want to trust your own analysis, you've already gotten out of harmony with the truth about self-responsibility. Yeah. You need to take self-responsibility for every action. Later on down the track, when you've gone to war because your minister told you you should, and you arrive in, he- in heaven, in the spirit world, which is what I would view the heaven to be, you will find that you'll be in the hells of the spirit world. Not be- And you won't be able to say, oh, but my minister told me to do it. Yeah. Because God attributes every decision you made to you.
2: Uh-huh.
1: God attributes every choice that you made to your own choice. You need to learn to take responsibility now for your own choices. And once you do, whenever now is, even yeah. if you're a spirit, take responsibility now for your own choices. You believed things because you were open to believing them. You believed that German people or that Japanese people or that, you know,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, a person of a different color than you deserved to die.
2: Yeah.
1: Or you felt justified in it because other people justified it or you were afraid of your government and that's what caused you to do it or you're afraid of all your friends and what they thought of you and that's what caused you to do it you had some reason to take the life of another person which was out of harmony with love you're responsible for it once we understand that we are personally responsible for every choice we make we're no longer afraid about being deceived we are very cautious about what we choose to believe mm-hmm. and i do suggest that people are very cautious about what they choose to believe and they should be very cautious with everything they hear from me for the same reason. They need to analyze it from the position of love. Yeah. And then we know what we can believe. Yeah,
2: yeah great. Thank
0: you. Mm. I believe you are a false prophet and deceiver. <laughs> Do you, Mary? <laughs>
2: no.
0: So I'm asking someone else's questions of here. Of course, of course. That's <laughs> not evident to everyone. I hope that it isn't. Yeah. Okay. I believe you are a false prophet and deceiver, the same as the ones Jesus warned, about, warned us about in the Bible. You need to repent, otherwise you will spend forever in hell.
1: Yes, I've had a lot of emails from Christian people on, on this particular topic, so they're not really asking me a question. So, Firstly, it's not a question, it's a statement. And, uh, and generally with statements, uh, my general feeling is you're allowed to feel what you feel. I know you're not right. That's okay with me. Yeah. You can believe that if you wish. It's going to be to your own detriment in the future in the sense that you had the opportunity to listen to Jesus and you didn't take it, and that's fine. Like, you know, you don't have to accept that, but that's what's actually happening here. Mm-hmm. However, um, I'd like to address some of the issues probably surrounding the, what the, the person raised, yeah. the statement itself. Yeah. Firstly, there is no uh, devil-tormented hell that you stay in forever. Mm-hmm. There are hells. In the spirit world where people who have created a dark condition have to reside because they need a dark residence in order to meet their condition and so they have actually created their own hell that's the reality God God didn't create the hell God created the potential for the hell to exist by giving us free will but the people themselves created their own hell and then they live in it but they don't have to live in it permanently it's not a permanent condition. They can change at any time. You know, a loving God doesn't consign people to eternal torment,
2: mm-hmm.
1: doesn't consign people to eternal everlasting death and, or eternal everlasting tormented hell. Yeah. And in fact, if you believe that such a God exists, you believe in a very, very harsh God. Mm. A person, a God actually, that is more harsh than the average person on earth. And I suggest that God is far more loving than the average person on earth and definitely not as hard as the average person on earth. Now, the issue I feel as well is that if you believe in such a God, then you're basically frightened of him Mm -hmm. and you're frightened of what he will do to you and you're frightened that he will throw you in hell for the devil to torment for the rest of your existence. And if you email me such an email... You're trying to frighten me into the same condition that you're in. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but I can't be frightened into such condition because I know that no such devil exists and no such eternal torment exists. I know Mm -hmm. for certain, because I've seen these locations, I know what they look like. So, So you cannot convince me that I deserve to be consigned to hell. I know the people who arrive in hell. They're very similar to the person who asked this question actually, in the sense that they are people who are full of rage and anger and fear, and many of these people finish up, finish up in hell,
3: mm. in the
1: hells, not understanding they can get out because they believed while they are on earth that you can't get out. Yeah. And they have to have people like myself come to them and tell them, you're allowed to get out of here. You, you, all you need to do is change your belief systems and change your emotional condition to get out of here. I also know that I'll never be consigned to hell. And I know the reason why. And that is I desire to love. I desire to grow. I desire truth. This is my condition. And I know that even if I ro- arrived in the spirit world in hell, I would never stay there for very long because my desire is to grow in love. So my suggestion to the person is that it, if I do arrive to the, in the spirit world in hell, I'm not going to be there very long because I have huge desire for God and for love and to grow in love and truth. And also because my actions on earth are not the actions of a person who is violent in their nature and not the actions of a person who does not love. So there's a high likelihood I will never find myself in hell when I arrive in the spirit world. So I'm not frightened of such a thing. I'm not frightened whether I arrived there or not.
0: So just to clarify, you're saying that hell, as this person is asserting that you'll spend forever in hell, you're saying that's not possible?
1: No. No person in existence has ever spelt forever in hell.
0: So you're saying that while a hellish place does exist?
1: Hellish places do exist.
0: Yep, That it is not somewhere that you're consigned to forever? No. And that you can always grow your character? Yes. So why then does this teaching exist?
1: It exists for many reasons. Uh, One of the reasons is uh, human society historically went through a degradation of the soul. It went through a process of withdrawing from God, withdrawing from ethics, withdrawing from love. And as a result, the soul of the particular people involved became degraded to such a condition that when they passed over into the spirit world, they passed into these hells. And for many hundreds and for some of them thousands of years, they didn't get out of those conditions. And if you've been in a place for a thousand years, you'll start to believe that you're there forever. And so you then start teaching other people on earth that they'll be there forever if they keep on doing the things they're doing. Mm. And this is how false beliefs get perpetrated on earth. Spirits go through a certain experience. They're in that experience for a long period of time. They believe the experience to be the only truth. And then they reinforce this so-called truth that they have discovered through their personal experience back onto the earth and try to force other people to believe the same thing then of course there's a build-up of fear that occurs as a result of that and then those people pass over into the same dark condition and then the next generation passes over in the same condition and then historically there has been in some cases a hundred generations in series pass over into the same condition
0: into a hellish condition to a hellish condition Yeah. yeah
1: now you imagine if you're those hundreds of generations, what are you going to be telling the next generation? You're going to be telling them that a hell certainly exists and they're going to go there if they keep doing what they're doing and so forth. Does that make sense? Yeah. You'll tell them what you believe to be true without knowing why the hellish condition was created. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Once these spirits began to understand why the hellish condition was created, that they had personally created it through the choices of their own soul, they started to grow, they started to get out of the hellish condition and that's why nowadays there are more teachings on earth that you can get out of the hellish condition than there are, than there are just everybody believing that you can't.
0: But there must be an investment in people on earth, mm-hmm. leaders of religious movements, in continuing this uh, teaching of hell.
1: Certainly, and I feel the investments are sort of there are quite a number of reasons. One reason is because many of these ministers themselves are afraid of hell,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they're afraid that their you know, people that they're trying to help will enter up and end up in hell if mm-hmm. they keep doing their unloving things that they're doing.
0: So there's a, a so fear
1: based concern yep. inside the minister or the teacher, and so he then impresses upon them how. Important it is that they do not do that particular thing because they'll end up in hell, which yeah. may be a truth, actually. Uh-huh. They might end up in a hell, but it's, not, it's just not a hell that's eternal. And, and they impress this upon the person so strongly that they start becoming angry and violent in the oppression yeah. In order, because they're afraid of the person making a wrong choice, which really is about their own fear about themselves making the, a wrong choice mm-hmm. at some point. So they start feeling responsible for their members of their congregation, right, or the mm-hmm. people they're teaching. Mm-hmm. And the problem with taking responsibility for other people's choices and decisions is it's impossible. From God's perspective, and as the Bible actually says, each one will account for his own sin. It says that in the book of Romans. Each person who, who works through stuff on earth will account at some point in the future for their own sin. Nobody else can do it for you. Jesus can't do it for you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Your minister can't do it for you. You've got to give up this concept that you are responsible for somebody else and what they do. You're not unless you motivated them to do it. Then you're partially responsible. But aside from that, you're not responsible at all. They have free will. They have a choice and decision to make. So any person who has this sort of idea will go down the track of believing that they feel quite strongly, they must impress strongly upon people to be careful of where they're going, careful of the hell, right? Right. And uh, and while it's right to impress upon somebody strongly, you know that the results of their actions are not going to be good, it's not good to use the fear as a motivating factor for them to be good, because fear in the end does not motivate people to be good; it just motivates people to avoid being bad. Mm-hmm. And I hope that people who are our listeners get that fear only motivates you to avoid something. It doesn't motivate you to have a desire, a pure desire for something different. Now, what God wants us to do is have a pure desire for love. That is the driving force. So anybody who's motivated by fear will not have a pure desire for love. That's the trouble of threatening people with hell, is that you are not motivating them to have a pure desire for love. You're motivating them to avoid a punishment. And that's a sad fact.
2: Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
1: Mm. Thank you.
0: So what about um, this idea that priests and religious leaders want to control people through fear? You've mentioned they have a concern, a a fear-based concern, but what about this idea of actually controlling people?
1: Yeah, well, historically, um, particularly through the Dark Ages, it was very prevalent that priests and ministers wanted more than just to advise a flock about how to be loving people. They wanted total dominion and control over their people. Mm-hmm. And this is why the Dark Ages actually occurred. You know, the Spanish Inquisition, for example, is a good example of how distorted sometimes ministers and leaders get once they go down this track of believing that they are God's instrument on earth mm-hmm. to punish people whenever they see fit. And to and, and they did that. You know, many of these ministers were, were terrible people to be mm-hmm. blamed, evil people who all they wanted to do was rape woman after woman and all they wanted to do was take the wealth of other people. They wanted to create fear and and pain in people around them and they just ruled with iron fists and many of them are still in hell, in the hells of the spirit world as a result of their choices, their unloving choices to damage other people. So historically there have been many ministers and priests who have desired to control other people through fear. And, you know, one way to, to cause a person to fear is say, God is going to punish you if you don't do this. And if a person finishes up believing that, then you've got control of them.
2: Yeah.
1: If, when I say God is not going to punish you for doing anything, the ministers have a heart attack almost. They go, well, why is anybody going to do anything good then? And I say, because they want to love. Mm. That's the only thing that is going to help them do anything good. Not fear. Mm. Fear is just going to help them avoid doing anything bad.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: That's, that's the difference. So I, I feel quite strongly that there are some ministers who are sincere and who are deceived themselves when it comes to the Bible. There are other ministers who are not sincere and all they want is control and power over people. There are some ministers who are afraid for their flock and so they put fear into their flock so their flock does
2: mm-hmm.
1: whatever they you know, feel is the right thing to do. Each one of those things are not based around love, so they can never have a good outcome. Mm. And to be honest, they don't have a good outcome. When these people pass into the spirit world, they often find themselves in the place that I will not find myself, and that is in the hells. And this man who's making, who made this original question to us, stating that I'll be in the hell because I'm a deceiver or a false prophet, and he has no knowledge whatsoever of one particular fact, and that is he will find in the future... That he has been deceived by some people who are deceivers and false prophets, and by other people who are well-meaning and intentioned, but who believe the same deceit. Mm-hmm. And in the future, he will come to see that if he does arrive in hell, that he has a way of getting out. Yeah. And he, it's not going to be consigned there forever. And uh, and I truly, which is great, which, isn't it? Which is great. Which yeah. is something I feel he needs to allow himself to do. And I feel quite strongly that if he does that, um, his life would benefit quite immensely if he, if he allowed himself to see that. But I, but I do feel that a lot of the emails that we receive, we cannot really respond to because they are unloving in the way in which they are delivered. They are not questions. They are just statements of judgment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: People do not know us and they're making these judgments based on media presentations that are also false which is a very dangerous thing to do because you're basing your assumptions and your character assassinations on other people's assumptions and character assassinations, and that is never a very wise course of action. And in the end, they might find they miss out on a lot of new truths that Jesus can teach them in this process just by ignoring the fact that Jesus has come and the man who's claiming to be Jesus that everybody thinks isn't is actually the one who is Jesus yeah. and, and he, they fin- could finish up learning a lot more about the Bible and about life and about God than they currently know if they had a more open mind
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. and okay. a more open heart,
2: yeah.
1: which I, probably, I suppose is the more important thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: yeah, Okay.
0: What did you mean by many would come in your name and deceive many? Who are you speaking of?
1: Well, I was aware at the time of all of the comings and goings in the spirit world. Uh, When you become at one with God, you can easily see spirits, you can communicate with them, you can easily see the intentions of people on earth and you can feel what they will do in the future as a result of those intentions. And because I could see all of these various factors, I realised that in the future, people, because of how the gathering momentum, if you like, of the Christian faith, as it was being taught at the time, that people would eventually, from the spirit world, come to people on earth claiming to be me in order to manipulate and deceive people on earth. And I understood that this would be a natural occurrence given the fact that God allows communication between the spirit world and the earth. Mm -hmm. Because God's laws allow this communication to occur, not only spirits who are of good condition can communicate, such as Moses and Elisha who communicated with me, and Elijah who communicated with me in the first century on the on the in the in the mount when we went with the transfiguration. But you also have spirits who are in a terrible condition being able to communicate with people on earth. And the kind of person uh, that a person on earth will attract, the kind of spirit that a person on earth will attract, will be a spirit who is in a very similar condition soul-based condition to the person on earth. And I noticed this occurring all the time. So a person who is a murderer on earth or inclined to murder on earth would often be surrounded by spirits who were trying to push the person into murdering again. Mm -hmm. A person who is a rapist on earth would be surrounded by a group of spirits trying to push the person into raping again or even raping for the first time. You know, the person might have the emotion inside of them that they are willing to rape. And then a group of spirits around them and try to push them into that action. We see a lot of evidence of this today where people, when they, when they appear in court, they say, oh, I can't remember doing it. Or they say, oh, I had all these voices telling me to do it. you know, Or, you know, they say all sorts of things. Yeah. And many of it, much of it is proof mm-hmm. that what I'm saying about these particular factors is true. Now... These particular people I knew in the future would want to deceive people by claiming to be me and then telling them other things that weren't true. And there's been literally in human history hundreds of thousands of these people who have done this, Mm -hmm. who claim to be me, tell a whole heap of things that are false. And, uh, And I knew that would occur. And so I warned my disciples about deceivers coming and what they would try to do to deceive them. And that I warned them that the disciples would need to be in a good soul-based condition to attract higher spirits. Mm. You know, if they weren't, they were going to attract very dark spirits. And as it occurred, Peter, straight after my death, attracted some very dark spirits, enough dark spirits to rape you and, and harm the cause of truth on earth very markedly within the first few days mm. after my death. They were the kind of spirits that were surrounding many of my disciples in mm-hmm. the first century.
0: And do you feel that that's happening again now on Earth?
1: Of course, yeah. We, you know, we go along to a presentation, as you know. We we often go along to presentations and uh, we give a seminar and the whole room is just filled with negative, dark spirits trying to influence a lot of the audience into disbelief, fear and all sorts of other emotions. You know, sometimes the the, the audience is so heavy we've almost got to stop the whole proceeding because it, it, because there's so much influence, and there's so much fear on the earth about the influence that causes the attraction and we've seen in our audiences many times dark spirits influencing different people to ask certain questions to be belligerent to you know to, to make criticisms that they wouldn't normally make in public at least mm-hmm. um, to even take actions they wouldn't normally take mm-hmm. and uh, and this is a normal occurrence, and the openness of their soul attracts these particular things to them. And the same applies with Christians as much as it applies with Muslims, as much as it applies with atheists, as much as it applies with persons of any persuasion of any kind, politically, religiously, and otherwise. There are literally groups of spirits surrounding every individual who come along to any seminar, manipulating and controlling their thoughts and their behavior and their even their ability to listen. We have some people ask a question at our audiences, and immediately, as soon as I start answering the question, they go to sleep. Like, How does that happen? By the influence of spirits, just tuning them out, not wanting to hear the answer.
2: Yeah.
1: We've had people ask the same questions 20 times. Why do you think they have to ask 20 times? Because they don't want the answer I <laughs> gave them first time. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, these are all parts of being spirit influenced. Now, this spirit influence causes people on earth to be deceived. It does. I agree. But I don't fear it because I can see it happening. You, only will, not, you will only fear it because you can't see it happening. Mm-hmm. And you only can't see it happening because you can't admit to yourself that it's happening or because you're not in a high enough condition of love to understand and feel it happening.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so my suggestion, again, the answer is get into a better condition of love. Get in a closer condition with God. You know, receive some of God's love. Be filled up with that love. You'll be able to determine when you're being influenced then. Hmm. All right. You won't need to be afraid about what I said about deceivers.
2: Yeah.
1: You'll go, yeah, there's a deceiver. There's a deceiver too. I'm not very afraid of him, but yeah, <laughs>
2: sure. I can
1: recognize him. The reason why I gave uh, people information such as that was so that they could be helped to recognize people who do not have their best interests at heart. A person who does not love you does not have your best interests at heart. A person who is angry with you does not have your best interests at heart. They can say whatever they like. They can even say the truth, but they don't have your best interests at heart. It's very unwise to listen to a person who does not have your best interests at heart. And anger, resentment, control, manipulation, power-based things, lies, deceit, these are all proof of people who do not have your best interests at heart. Hmm. They are the deceivers.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you, darling. (laughs) Thanks, babe.